Good morning, everyone. <coughs> Thank you for that last hymn. I just love singing Be Still My Soul. I want it at my funeral. I want it at my funeral. I like particularly for the last verse, which I can't recite from memory, sorry. <clears throat> Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we have the open scriptures before you. We thank you, Father, that they communicate your very heart to us. And Lord, that's what we want to see today. We want to see your heart. We want to hear from your great heart of love. Guide us. Open our ears, Lord, that we may hear. Thank you for this time, Lord. Commit it to you in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Over recent time, we've been looking at the prophecy of Hosea. And on the two previous sermons, um, the focus was on God as judge. It's not a popular view of God, but it was one that I believe that we really need to give full focus to because the the book of Hosea, the prophecy of Hosea makes it clear that the nation of Israel were living in such a way that God had to judge them. He had no choice. He sought to reach them and they wouldn't respond. But today, it is a delight to bring you the concluding sermon from Hosea because woven through that whole prophecy and woven through the whole of the Old Testament are God's promises to his faithful people his earthly people it's amazing when you read through the Old Testament scriptures particularly the prophets There is warning and then there is promise. And there's warning and there is promise. And there's warning and there is promise. Everywhere he issues a warning, he seems to follow it with a promise. Because his, his whole heart is involved in trying to create a response from these people. Last Sunday, Mike brought us a study from Habakkuk and he revealed to us that this prophet, Habakkuk, was a special prophet in that he didn't bring God's message to people. He didn't talk to people about God. He talked to God about people. And in a similar way, Hosea is, is a special prophet because he 
wasn't so much given a message to bring. He was given a life to live. He was told to marry a woman who would become unfaithful. Who would turn away from him into harlotry and into idolatry. And for something like 20 years, he probably suffered this fractured relationship. And Hosea has also been described as the last chance prophet. Because if they didn't listen to him, they were going to go into exile. They didn't listen and they went. But just to, to remind us of what Hosea was called to. He was called to take Gomer as his wife. She bore him a son. And the scripture is quite clear that she bore him a son. And he was to be named Jezreel. And Jezreel can mean a scattering or a gathering. And so there is in the message of Hosea both a scattering and a gathering. There will be a scattering, but ultimately there will also be a gathering. So we look at the two, the second and third child that were born. When Gomer conceived, conceived a daughter from harlotry, not from Hosea, but from harlotry, God said, name her Lo Ruhama, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel, that I would ever forgive them. Then she bore a son the same way. He said, that's God said, name him Lo Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Everywhere that Gomer went with these two children, they were pronouncing a message to God's wayward people that they would never be forgiven while they lived like they did and that ultimately God would say, you are not my people and I am not your God. But as I said before, I have looked forward to bringing this sermon because we see another side to the heart of God. He will judge when he's forced to judge. But over and above it all, there is a great heart of love. And so we read in Hosea chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. How will I give you up, O Ephraim? How will I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Admar? How can I treat you like Zeboiim? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. 
Adma and Zeboim, what were they? They were cities of the plain adjacent to Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed when God came in judgment on godless, these godless cities, Sodom, Gomorrah and the others. So he says, how can I? I don't want to do this. What am I to do? These people have pushed me and pushed me and pushed me, but what am I to do? And he goes on and he says, I will not exercise my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. I don't act like man acts. I don't react like man reacts. And I will not come in wrath. So in verse 8, four times he says, how can I? How can I give you up? How can I surrender you? How can I t treat you in this way? How? And then he goes on and he says, I will not execute. I will not destroy. I will not come in wrath. And all these three will nots are strong double negatives. He absolutely, definitely will not come in wrath. So what is he to do? What is God to do? He's declared what he won't do. So what does he go on to say what he will do? And we read also in Hosea, back in chapter 2, and this is where that where you get that warning and, and enticement side by side because in Hosea chapter 2 is divided into two. In the first half, it's warning, and in verse 14 and 15, you get this beautiful little picture of what God is going to do. Therefore, Behold, I will allure her. Bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Can't you hear the, the heart of God? Can you hear the love of God? Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. Behold, this is something of a certainty. Be assured that God's going to do this. Take note of what God is about to do. In grace, he is about to do something amazing. Something that only he can do. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, we read, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, 
who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. Compassion and gracious are words used only of God. Only he is truly compassionate. Only he is truly gracious. And he says, I will allure her. I will entice her. I will draw her in. I will bring her to myself in a way that she has to respond. It's something that is called the effectual call. When God calls in a special way, people respond. When Jesus walked past a fisherman and said, follow me, he just got up and followed him and left his father and the workmen behind. When he walked past the tax collector and said, follow me, the tax collector got up, left all his money-making enterprises and followed. God will allure his earthly people. He will call them to himself and they will respond. This is language which is borrowed from the days of the Exodus. And in Hosea, once again in Hosea, in chapter 11, verse 1, they have this beautiful little statement. When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Now that's happened more than once. Because the children of Israel were called out of Egypt under the guidance of Moses. But the Lord Jesus also was called out of Egypt after Herod had died. But just as Jehovah rescued Israel out of Egypt, through the wilderness and into the promised land, so he will restore them in a coming day. There is a day of blessing for the children of Israel. And the Old Testament prophets are full of that message. God has spoken severely in judgment because of their sin. But now, because of their penitence, he will speak comfortingly. But why the wilderness? Why is he going to entice them and draw them and lead them into the wilderness? If we look, remember in the Gospels, the wilderness is mentioned quite frequently. Herod, in a drunken party, had John the Baptist put to death to satisfy the whim of a godless woman. And when Jesus was told about the death of John the Baptist, a man that he had grown up with, 
They were within six months' age of one another and must have known one another well. And John the Baptist was the forerunner who came before Jesus to declare the way for him. When Jesus heard, he went into the wilderness. He went away and he found a solitary place by himself. And he was there. The scriptures is very specific. He says he went to a solitary place and then it says he was there by himself. He wanted to be by himself. And Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus often went into the wilderness to the solitary place, to the lonely place, to, cry, to pray. He wanted to be alone. He wanted it to be quiet. He wanted to be separate without interruption. If we want to spend time with the Lord, we need to find a quiet place without distraction, without all the noise that goes on. The world seems to have to have noise. Have you ever noticed how workmen, doesn't matter how much noise they're making, somewhere they've got a radio blaring. And you can hardly hear it for the noise they're making, but there it is, blaring away. But that's not the way of the Lord. And also remember in Mark chapter 6, the Lord Jesus sent his disciples out to preach, and when they returned, they were excited, they had lots of things to tell him, but they were also tired from their, from their activities. And Jesus said to them, come, let's draw aside and find a quiet place to rest. And they went to a solitary place. The hubbub of the high street is what the world chases after. But God loves the quiet place. To meet with God, you need to find your own quiet place. Verse 15 of Hosea chapter 2. Then I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. Give her her vineyards from there, from the valley of Achor will be a door of hope. What's this valley of Achor? The valley of Achor is, a, is Achor means trouble. It's a valley of trouble. And we read about this in the book of Joshua in chapter 6 and 7 when they went up to attack Jericho and we read first of all from, Jericho, from Joshua chapter 6 verse 16 
to verse 19. Remember they marched around the city for seven days and then on on the last day they marched around the city seven times. And so from verse 16 we read, After the seventh time the priests blew the trumpets and Joshua said to the troops, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, but the city and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone with her in the house will live because she hid the messengers we sent. But keep yourselves from the things set apart or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take away those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for, for destruction and make trouble for it. For all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the treasury. And so they went up and they attacked the city. They shouted and the the walls fell down flat, so flat that every soldier could walk straight ahead. He didn't have to struggle over the rubble. He could just walk straight ahead. And they went in and they took the city. But then we read, In chapter 7, verse 1, the Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of what was set apart, and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites, not just against. Achan, but against the Israelites. We're told these days that what happens behind closed doors is nobody's business but theirs. And the way that one person acts doesn't affect the way everybody lives. But I ask you a question. If you go to the fruiterer and there are two boxes of apples there, and one of them's got one rotten one in it, which box do you buy? Now, just one thing to bring from this verse, verse 1. Achan, the son of Carmi, that gave his family the son of Zabdi, that gave his clan. The son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, that gave his tribe. Every person in Israel in those days knew his family, his clan and his tribe. And this will become significant when we read on. But after Jericho, they were to go and the next town that they were going to attack was Ai. And they sent out some some spies and the spies came back and said, it's a small place, there's not a lot of people there, Um, we don't need to send the whole army. (coughs) 
one contingent will be plenty. And so they sent 3,000. And the people of Ai raised up, rushed out and drove them away. And not only did they drive them away, but they killed some of them as they fled. And Joshua was distressed. And he came and he fell down before the Lord and he said, Lord, what's going on? Why did this happen? Why did you let this happen? You've sent a message to the whole country that we're easy beats. We're going to be driven out. Why did we ever cross the Jordan? We should have stayed where we were. Then we read in verse 10 of chapter 7. The Lord then said to Joshua, Stand up. Why have you fallen face down? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. They have stolen, deceived and put those things within their own belongings. These things were set apart to God. To take them was to steal from God. And certainly that has to be a serious crime. But then God gave Joshua an instruction. He said, go and consecrate the people. Tell them to consecrate themselves for tomorrow. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are things that are set apart among you, Israel. You will not be able to stand against your enemies until you remove what is set apart. If there's something in our lives that is not right, it will affect our relationship with God. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord selects is to come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord selects is to come forward family by family. The family the Lord selects is to come forward man by man. The one who is caught with the things set apart must be burned along with everything he has because he has violated the Lord's covenant and committed an outrage in Israel. And so Joshua did what God had declared had to be done. Now we have read about Achan. We've read about his family, his clan and his tribe. This is how the children of Israel are to be judged. They're to call the clans. And then they're to call the tribe. And then they're to call the family. So here is Achan. He knows his family. He knows his He knows his clan and he knows his tribe. He sees his tribe called, but he doesn't do anything. He knows what he's done, but he doesn't do anything. His tribe is called. And he knows it's his tribe, 
but he still doesn't say anything. Then his family's called, and he still doesn't say anything. He probably finds somebody taller than him and stands behind him and says, hope they don't see me. But ultimately, he has to stand there before Joshua on his own. So Joshua said to Achan, verse 19, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and make a confession to whom I urge you. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide anything from me. Only when he had nowhere to go, nowhere to hide, and he could no longer deny, only then did he admit. And I have to suggest that I see no repentance in any of that. So it may seem harsh that Achan's family was taken and they were put to death. But where there is no repentance, God has no option but to judge. And so that's the valley of Achor, a place that the nation of Israel probably would rather not talk about. But something is going to happen there that is going to make it the door of hope. And that something is that the children of Israel are going to come and they're going to come repentant. They're going to come confessing their sin. They're going to come seeking the Lord. And it, for those reasons, it is become, going to become the door of hope. And Israel will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. She will sing the Song of Moses that we read about in Exodus 15, just a few verses from it. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praise, working wonders? And when that happens, there will be no turning away back into idolatry for Israel. They will enjoy the, the comfort and the presence of their Lord for all eternity. Amos was the other prophet to the northern kingdom, to the kingdom of Israel. And in chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, he says, also, this is God speaking again, also I will restore the captivity of my people Israel 
and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them in their land and they will not again be rooted out from their land. No Assyria coming this time. The land which I have given them, says the Lord your God. In Hosea chapter 14, verses 4 and 5, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. Where there is repentance, there can be healing. For my anger has turned away from them. Listen to these words. I will be like the Jew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. But right at the beginning of Hosea's prophecy, chapter 1 and verse 10, he said this, Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sands of the sea, even though all this judgment is going to come, there is a coming day when the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Hosea chapter 3 verse 5. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, that's the Messiah, great David's greater son, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. When they come to that valley of Achor, they will come trembling they will come repentant and they will experience his goodness in the last days. Zephaniah 3, 14 and 15, woven right throughout the prophecies of the Old Testament are the promises for God's holy people, God's earthly people. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice, and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. When Israel started out, God was their king. And then they decided they wanted an earthly king. But in the coming day, when they come again under the blessing of the Lord, he again will be their king. And they will fear disaster no more. So what can we take from this? What is our Lord's word for us? 
just as God has promised to restore and bless Israel, just as he has vowed not to restore them and not to judge them again, so he has vowed not to judge again all those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have come to trust the Lord Jesus, if you have put your life in his hands, if you have bowed to him and said, I am nothing and you are everything. If you've made that commitment to the Saviour, then this is what he will say to you. And we read in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, in the Amplified Version, which brings out the nuances of the Greek language that the normal translations aren't able to do because, and you have to read different translations, and one will pick up this point and another will pick up that point, but of course the Amplified is that much thicker than all the others because it contains them all. And I would recommend if you don't have a copy of the Amplified Bible, that's a good idea to get one. But Hebrews 13, 5, he has said, God has said, I will never under any circumstances desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless. There are strong double negatives, one after the other. Nor will I forsake or let you down, or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. That's God's promise for all who trust in him. It's a promise for his earthly people in a coming day. They're still spread all around the world, but they will be drawn together and they will enter into a blessing that they've never known before. And those of us who have committed our hearts and lives to the Lord Jesus, there is for us a promise. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go there to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. If you trust in the Lord Jesus, if you have made him your Lord, then there is a place in heaven with your name on it. And it's never going to be erased. So my cry is, if you have not trusted Jesus as your Saviour and committed to him your whole heart and your whole life, then I pray that you do it today. Because the blessings that you're missing out on are just not worth thinking about. I pray that you will. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the way that you promise us
your blessings. They come with conditions. We must respond. We must repent. But Lord, this becomes a blessing in itself because it opens up all the blessings that you have in store for us. Thank you, Lord. We praise your holy name in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.